Good morning to you. I wonder how many of you remember the Bunty magazine, uh, which was a girls' comic that stopped printing in 2001. The 1987 Bunty annual seemed to eerily predict the Covid crisis. In a sci-fi cartoon strip called The Lost World, two teenagers in the year 2020 live in a world that has been decimated by a virus deadly to humans. The comic has a twist that is yet to have been suggested as the origin for COVID-19. That the virus was brought back to Earth by a spaceship. The girls live beneath a force field that protects them from the virus and has cut everyone off from the world outside, while there is a ban on travelling between cities and countries. Their teacher tells them about the terrible plague, adding millions of people died. We must be eternally grateful to the wonderful force field that has saved our lives. The comic details life in the new world beneath the force field, with the characters pondering on what goes on above, but fearing certain death if they escape. Of course, the Bunty is a great piece of fiction with an amazing coincidental time setting. This morning, we read a small part of the great historical narrative where Jesus, who was very much an historical figure, as much as Nelson or Julius Caesar, enters our planet and by his death and resurrection, destroys the curtain barrier that separates us from entering the presence of an eternal God. Our rescuer is not some nebulous force field, but a person, the Son of God, born into our world, Jesus. For three years, Jesus has been traveling throughout Israel with his disciples, healing the sick and performing miracles. But most of all, teaching the crowds of people that thronged him as he became widely known. What was the message of his teaching? His message was that the kingdom of God had arrived. At the start of his ministry, in the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stated what should be the highest priority of his followers. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things, all your human concerns, will be met. And this is the heart of Jesus' message. It was all about God's kingdom coming to earth, as both Mark and Matthew clearly state in their Gospels. One of the primary reasons for Jesus coming to earth was to introduce and present the kingdom of God. This was his mission. This was his message. This was his purpose. This is what drove and motivated him. And Jesus' teaching, as recorded in the Gospels, is that God's kingdom has now arrived, literally established on earth. Everything Jesus did during his earthly ministry ultimately leads to the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? 
well, unlike the kingdom of an earthly king, is not an actual physical territory. The kingdom of God really means the reign of God. And since God is eternal, his kingdom is eternal. The kingdom of God transcends time and space. The Jews were expecting a king, like their famous king, David, who would liberate the country from Roman occupation and redefine the boundaries. But the kingdom of God has no borders. It cannot be contained. Jesus said that it is like leaven or yeast that pervades the whole cooking. So Jesus' reign will eventually be everywhere in every part of the world, in every city at the end of the age. And Jesus taught that we must receive the kingdom of God like a small child. This indicates that access to the kingdom is not something that we can work hard to achieve or something that can be earned, but something that is very simply and humbly accepted. Many people think that every goodness that you do earns a credit. And if you earn enough credits, you will enter heaven. The truth is that we cannot save ourselves. We need a saviour. Just as a child is utterly dependent upon his parents, so we need to rely entirely on Jesus for our entrance into the kingdom. When we took our children to Disney World years ago, their means of admission to the kingdom was not based on how good they were, but whether we, their parents, had bought the admission tickets. They simply accepted it with wonder and with gratefulness. And so God the Father has paid the price for admission to the kingdom. We simply need to accept with wonder and a grateful heart. John the Baptist's purpose was to prepare the way, to be the herald for the ministry of Jesus. And one of the ways he did this was by calling the people of Israel back to God through repentance. Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And when Jesus famously met with Nicodemus, he said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom, we need to radically change. In his stories or parables, Jesus taught that whilst everyone is invited to the kingdom, we can only enter it if our hearts and minds are right before God. We need a new heart that only comes through meeting with Jesus. We need a new birth experience to accept the reign of Jesus in our hearts and lives. And Jesus carries on to describe the kingdom as being like a grain of mustard seed, a movement of believers that starts infinitely small, but then experiences rapid growth. It is a kingdom that grows not by force, but by love. And the kingdom values are upside down to this world's values. 
The measure of a man is not the size of his house, nor the wealth in his bank, nor the size of his share portfolio, nor his stature in the community, but the size of his heart for love of God and for love of man. And the one who sacrifices most will be the one who receives most. The mightiest person is the one who is servant to all. Well, if there is a kingdom, then there must be a king. And in the kingdom of God, the king is Jesus. Jesus is the king, but a king like no other. An earthly king would be riding into Jerusalem on a stallion, on a charger. But Jesus chose a colt, which fulfilled an Old Testament scripture in Zechariah chapter 9. Your king is coming, a good king who makes all things right, a humble king riding a donkey, a mere colt of a donkey. There is little doubt that the multitude saw Jesus' entry into the city in the light of this prophecy, and they now greeted him as king. They knew that Jesus had done many mighty works. Many had been waiting for Jesus to proclaim himself as the Messiah of their hopes. Now they saw him doing so. He was riding into Jerusalem in a way that fulfilled the prophecy. He was showing himself to be the Messiah. It didn't cross their minds that he was also proclaiming himself a man of peace and so did not share in their nationalistic fervour. They wanted a Messiah, and they now saw one in Jesus. They wanted a king, a Messiah, on their terms. And still today, many people look for a God on their terms. They want a God who will end all suffering, but still allow them absolute freedom to do whatever they want. They want a God of sorts, but they will not bow down to him or own his reign within their lives. And the Jewish religious leaders had a similar problem with Jesus. They questioned his authority. See the beginning of the next chapter in Luke chapter 20 in the first eight verses. They thought they were part of God's inner circle. They gave to charity. They were religious. They tried to keep all the rules. They tried to teach everybody else to do the same. But they noticed that Jesus was different. He spoke with authority as though God was his father. Even the demons that he cast out of suffering people acknowledged his authority. They couldn't fault his teaching nor his understanding and explanation of the scriptures. They couldn't deny that he was a great miracle worker, nor could they explain away the amazing, miraculous raising of Lazarus from the dead, even though he'd been buried in the tomb for four days. They focused on one thing for which they eventually crucified Jesus, and it was this. By what authority? Or... Who gave you the authority to do these things? 
ultimately, in Jesus' mock trial, this question becomes even more pointed when they ask outright, Are you the Messiah? And this is the greatest question that they asked. It is the greatest question that you and I must answer today. He is either the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of all the earth, or he's not. If he isn't the Messiah, then we are all wasting our time. But if he is, then this will totally transform our lives, our goals, our lifestyles, our values, and our priorities. Pilate missed the opportunity of his life. As Jesus stood before him on trial for his life, Pilate asked Jesus outright, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born into the world to testify to the truth. If only Pilate had listened to Jesus. But instead he listened to the maddening crowd baying for Jesus' blood. He didn't recognise Jesus for who he was. Listen to our reading, verse 41. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Literally, he wept audibly over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. And he carries on saying in verse 44, You did not recognise and know and understand the time of God's coming to you. I'm so moved when I think that Jesus, the King of heaven and earth, wept over the people of Jerusalem. And still today, his heart breaks for those who are searching in all the wrong places for peace. If only men and women and boys and girls would recognise and understand the time when God came amongst us. It's said that there is none sublime as those who won't see. Jesus came in humility as king. And whilst many recognised and gladly accepted his kingship, Jesus laid his majesty and glory aside and allowed himself to be mocked and tortured, allowed himself to be crucified so that he could make a way whereby you and I and everyone who gratefully receives his love can be accepted into his kingdom. The story is told that when Robert the Bruce was fleeing from the English when they invaded Scotland, he came to a poor old woman's house and asked for a night's lodging. Who are you? she asked. 
I am a stranger and a traveller, said the king. All strangers and travellers are welcome here, she said, for the sake of one. And who is that? said the king. Our good king, Robert the Bruce, she said, who, even though he is hunted by hounds and horns, I acknowledge to be the rightful king of all Scotland. She couldn't enthrone him except in her heart. But she would if she could. Whilst he was rejected, she acknowledged him as her rightful king. John, at the start of his gospel, says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, he gave the right, the privilege to become children of God. But the story doesn't end there. Just as there is a kingdom and there is a king, so there is a throne, a throne like no other. In Revelation chapter four, the last book of the Bible, the apostle John attempts to describe the incredible scene that he sees. In the centre of heaven sits the throne, from which comes flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And the backdrop is a rainbow which fully encircles the throne. And surrounding the throne are 24 other thrones. And it is though they, they are all staged on a sea of glass. The noise is overwhelming because the thrones are themselves surrounded by millions of angels. And there is a unity in their praise and in their worship. And sitting on the throne in grandeur and with a dazzling appearance is the risen Jesus. He is regal and magnificent and powerful and authoritative. He combines glory and purity and majesty and justice and mercy. And yet he bears the nail prints in his hands. He is the centre of worship and adoration. And on his robe and on his thigh has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as John watched, before the throne was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This countless multitude consists of everyone who has accepted the reign of Jesus in their lives, even you and me. And just like that donkey ride into Jerusalem, we will be holding palm branches to celebrate the king. The first time 
Jesus came in humility. The next time he appears will be with honour. The first time he came in meekness. The next time he appears, he will appear in majesty. Then he came to be afflicted. He will come again to be acknowledged by all. Then he came as servant. The next time he will appear as sovereign. Yes, the king is coming again and every eye will see him and every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess, will acknowledge, will recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus comes to bring an eternal reign of peace. Jesus comes to bring peace, to bring harmony between God and man. The whole crowd of disciples we read joyfully praised God in loud voices. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 38. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In life, we face all sorts of pressures, financial, relationships, career, health. In Jesus, we find a refuge, a safe haven, a shelter. We can find peace. In a world of troubles, we can know a deep down, deep seated peace. We live in an unjust world. A world which discriminates on race and gender and wealth and status and demographic, to name just a few. We are reminded of this daily in our news, where people are bullied or bribed or are greedy or polluted by power. We want a just world, incorruptible government and equitable decision making. You know, God never turns a blind eye to our failures and wrongdoing. He is a God of justice. He will not be morally compromised. But he makes it possible for divine justice to be achieved through the sacrifice of his own son. If you wanted to sum up the whole Bible in one word, it would be love. God's love for people. And the story of the Bible is a story of God wanting and planning to enjoy a relationship with people. And the cross is ultimately the greatest demonstration of God's incredible love. And that love continues to be outpoured on us. It undergirds God's plans for us and his answers to our prayers. He watches over us in love. What a kingdom and what a king. When we come to know him, we will want to serve him because in serving him, We can know perfect freedom. That sounds ironic, doesn't it? And it would be if it were any other king. 
but Jesus. He has created us to worship him. And in worshipping him, we find our full potential. Well, I'm sharing this message with you this morning from an empty church building. As I look around at the empty seats, I can imagine you all sitting here. And we look forward to the time, hopefully soon now, when we're all back together again. It will be a foretaste of the gathered church around the throne at the end of time. A multitude that no one can number. The kingdom of God will then truly be complete. And the king will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen.